Hello, and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost. Each week, we bring you the best news, views, and interviews with the founders, leaders, clinicians, and CEOs that are changing the world of health tech in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself called PocDoc that's revolutionizing the blood testing space. And I'm passionate about the people and companies that are changing the world. Thanks to everyone who's listening live on UK Health Radio. Thanks if you're watching on YouTube. And also thank you if you're joining on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Google. Um, it's great to have you here. Without you, we wouldn't be doing the show. I'd also like to say thank you to Zero Zilch Zip. .co.uk for sponsoring the show. Zero Zilch Zip is the UK's leading online no alcohol drinks retailer. Whether it's beers, wines, cider, or fizz, you can find a fantastic range of curated products online. So that's zerozilchzip.co.uk. Can highly recommend it. Now, on to today's show. Today's show is a very special show, as you may be able to, well, those of you listening on the radio can't see, but anyone watching on YouTube will see. We're here live from the Houses of Parliament. Um, this is a first for the Health Tech Hour, but hopefully not a last. Our guest today presided over the single greatest period of innovation in the healthcare service in the last 100 years and led the pandemic response from one of the largest economies in the world. But before that, he had a history of championing digital innovation through his role at the DCMS, his role at the Department of Business, and also at the Bank of England. Now, I'm obviously talking about Matt Hancock. And so, Matt, welcome to the show. How are it's you? Great to be on. Thanks, Steve. So, as regular listeners will know, we do the show in three parts, which is kind of an origins part, the middle bit, which was all of the world-changing things that you did, and then what the future holds. Just to start off, what is your view generally on this idea of this kind of increasing trend around no alcohol drinks and things like that? Because they're everywhere now. I've been on the journey myself. Was that something that you looked at as health secretary? Well, alcohol is definitely one of the contributors to health inequalities. It's one of the public health uh, concerns uh, that there is. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's a long way behind smoking in okay. terms of the degree of damage it does to the health of the nation. Um, and it's also um, more challenging to tackle in a way than smoking um, because it isn't a reasonable public policy goal to say they should to have a goal of no alcohol whatsoever. Only drink outside. I, uh, right, yeah. whereas, whereas, whereas with smoking, that is, that is the goal to, yeah. um, to get to zero. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's more of a challenge. It's more nuanced as a, as a policy area, mm -hmm. but there's absolutely no doubt that the misuse and overuse of alcohol is a significant part of the public health problem, mm -hmm. and in particular, of public health inequalities. Great, well, that, I, I completely agree with that. So let's go back. So when you, you were at PPE at Oxford, philosophy, politics, economics, right? That's right. That's still a long way from where you've ended up. So was there a particular drive or a pull towards politics? Because I don't, you know, what, what was that journey like? What brought you into the political life? Well, for me, the reason I ended up in politics actually comes from a much more personal thing than what I, than what I studied. Um, it's that the, uh, when I was growing up, my, I grew up you know, surrounded by an innovative software business. Right? My, my mother ran the business, my stepdad wrote the code. When you've typed your postcode into the internet, it yep. brings up your address, yeah. we did that. No way. Yeah, so, cool. yeah. so my stepdad, Bob, he wrote that. Uh, Mum ran it as a, as a business, and then the business grew, and obviously more and more people um, were, were brought in, they right. were, but they were the, they were the founders. Um, and um, there was a, um, and then there was a big problem in okay. the early 90s recession yep. when it was still a new company, about 20 or so employees, and one of its big customers couldn't pay their bill. Okay. It was a late payment issue. Right. Now, this is familiar to so many startups, right? Yes. yes it's, it's cash is. is king. It's all about the cash flow. Yeah. And um, we knew that if we didn't get to the end of that week, then the business was going to fold. Wow. 
and like I, single day failure basically. It was it. That's it. And and you know, I was a teenager at the time, right. but all the discussion around the you know around the family dinner table was yeah. all about the business, and um, and I can still remember the sound of the uh, of the letterbox on the house that we lived right. in, and with about I think it was on the Wednesday or the Thursday that the check arrived because it was checks back then, <laughs> and the business went on to thrive and prosper. Right. And, um, and then you know, the internet came along and the, it was all part of the tech revolution. Right. And, uh, but the, but you know, I went into that interested in, in technology right. and business and came out of it asking the question, how can, how can our perfectly successful business be almost, almost knocked over? Almost completely wiped out through no By something completely outside their control. Yeah. And the answer to that lies here in Westminster. That okay. you know, if you want to have an, a, a, a business environment that helps people to to survive and and thrive and come up with the solutions that are going to change the world, mm -hmm. then you need a pro enterprise environment here in Westminster. So that okay. then led me. I, I was at the Bank of England, but then uh, and I studied um, PPE, as you said, at Oxford, which kind of covers all bases, and you know. It's a, it, it's a great degree. Yeah, I have uh, some, plenty of my friends did it. They, and they, um, and it, and it, it, it but the, the driving sort of force, the driving mission was and is to make sure that growing a business in the UK is as easy as possible. Yeah. Um, and um, and there are some great things about the UK technology sector that you know that, that have been introduced in the last fifteen well, years. Well, it's absolutely fantastic. So you know, I then I, I got a call from. This guy, unknown guy at the time, called George Osborne, who asked me to go and work for him. And um, uh, and there, but I, I knew I wanted to go into elected politics, uh, not just stay in the back room. Although that was a great okay, time so again. Is that, is that but, the difference, right? You're either in the back room or you seek an elected position. Yeah. So I was okay. his chief of staff. Yeah, I supported him in what he was doing, and I was absolutely at the centre of the Conservative Party trying to get into government in the twenty, what became the 2010 election. Okay. Um, and a huge amount to do on the on the innovation agenda, on the economic agenda, and obviously we just come out of the crash. Yeah, the financial crisis. And um, but I wanted to I wanted to do it on my own book, if you like. Um, so I so I I, I uh, found myself a seat, yeah. and I I was elected, and um, and then my first jobs in in ministerial jobs in government were all on the on the yeah, you know, business skills innovation. business yeah. innovation. And then, I, and then I was brought in by David Cameron into the centre of government to do the digital transformation of government itself. Right. Uh, this is work that had been started by GDS after 2010 mm -hmm. and incredibly important agenda. Yeah. Um, and I drove that forward. And then I was moved to DCMS mm -hmm. where I took the whole data protection yeah, the GDPR. Yeah, yeah, I took GDPR and the Data Protection Act through Parliament. That was a which is kind of revolutionary at the well, time. Well, it's a two-year project. Yeah. Um, you know, we were constrained, of course, by GDPR being um, of European the origin. Thing, yeah. But but obviously, we had to put that in place in the UK context. Yeah. And my goal was to put it in place in such a way that it was as liberal as possible, while still giving the protection. No, and, I, and I, you know, as a founder, I can say that obviously. As scary as it is when you start your company and you have to register with the ICO and do all of that stuff, it's actually not beyond, you know, it's, it's manageable. Well, know, it's, it's well when we come to health tech, actually, I think there's a big positive as well of it being, you know, relatively cautious um, uh, um, uh, legislation. Yeah. And that is that previously 
there had been this view that, well, the, the data in, within the health sphere is more important somehow or different mm -hmm. um, and therefore you need health specific solutions yep. and that's just not true yep. there is sensitive personal information you know and that could be your financial information just as much as it could be your health information yep. for some people their financial information would be more sensitive for some people yeah, it would be the health information yeah. and other data yeah. um, and by bringing in a if you like generic uh, across-the-board approach to sensitive personal data. Mm -hmm. Actually, GDPR has done a lot to reassure people that you can work with health data. Yes. And so long as you're working no, within GDPR, I would agree then, with that. then that's the baseline. No, and I would agree with that. And actually, I mean, we work with health data all the time, obviously, at PocDoc, where we're yeah. dealing with people's blood tests through smartphones right. and in the cloud and you know all those different things. And actually, the, the, the clarity around the GDPR legislation makes it very easy to understand what you can and cannot do. Yeah. So as a comparison, you know, I don't know how much you know about the HIPAA compliance framework in the US, which is very focused on healthcare. And yeah. It's very complicated. Yeah. And you know? let, me, let me give you one example. It's from what I understand will be section two of the podcast. But let me, uh, if I can, <laughs> you can, jump if I can ahead, fast forward. You know, right? So, so one free. of the things that we did right at the start of the pandemic was we took the data rules mm -hmm. in use in the NHS, which, off, which slowed down innovation enormously. Yeah. And we completely rewrote them. Right. We rewrote them on one page of A4, with the language aimed not at CIOs or the data protection people, professionals within hospitals, mm -hmm. but aimed at a nurse on a ward, right. saying this is what you can and cannot do. Yeah. And we said, you don't have to use, this is the absolute central change, you don't, it's not the application that has to be approved, mm -hmm. it's the way that data's handled. Yes. So if you want to WhatsApp somebody about personal, um, personal data, what matters is that that movement of information is held securely and yeah. that there are reasonable protocols around that. And then you've explained it and that you've put yeah. it in context and you've run a risk assessment and things like that. You don't is... have to risk assess WhatsApp. Yeah, exactly. Because WhatsApp... Well, you're never going to be able to right. and, it, and, 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 and that complies by GDPR yeah. because it's a very large you know, system. Yeah. So well, that's very similar to the way, obviously, as a medical device developer, that's very similar to, you know, things like, well, I don't know how much you know about ISO 13485 and all of these regulations and things like that. And it's around common sense application of, of, of risk and things like that. Like Precisely. If, if so, so, the, so previously, you know, the NHS, I, when I became health secretary, had this attitude that you can only send information if it's on the NHS's own generic, own email system, right? NHS wow. mail. Now, that, firstly, NHS mail was less secure than uh, proper two-factor verification less, Gmail. They, they didn't have a multi-factor on it. Well, just be, and and because it was because it was bespoke, it just didn't have you know the multi billions of support that's put in place to ensure that the high quality, widely used solutions are safe. Yep. Um, and and it crashed and had to be turned off for upgrading all the time. You know, it was just an absolutely classic legacy bespoke system. legacy system. Yep. And, you know, I, and I'm not, I, I, I'm not criticizing at all the people who worked on it because they worked wonders to make it work as well as possible. Yep. And it is now, by the way, radically better than it was even two or three years ago. Yep. Uh, but, you know, there are other people um, who have fixed this problem to a really, really high quality. Yeah, other people spent have been working on this. On it. <laughs> and so let's use the solutions that are out there. What matters is the quality of the security of the data, not the application that goes and was over. It, and did you get some pushback around that? Um, yes, until the pandemic struck. And okay. then, no. Right, it was just everything's, everything's it, on the table. Complete 
culture shift because it was so obvious that change was needed. So you've, you've, my, my, the whole structure has gone out the window, so we're just going to carry on with what you want to do. So the, um, with, with the, um, at what point did you realize when the pan, at what point did you yeah. realize this was not business as usual? As in, because for, for example, you know, I think in the couple of years after you became, the, the two, 18 months, the two years before yeah. you became health sec, we, there was the Ebola outbreak, I think. Yeah. You know, there was probably another Southeast Asian respiratory virus that wasn't this. Presumably those things were kind of blips on the radar, but obviously they didn't change business as usual in the UK. At what point did you realize this pandemic was not business as usual? Oh, um, well, the first thing that happened was that, obviously we tracked it from very, very early on. I first was aware of it on the 1st of January. Um, and it was that through like a standard tracking procedure that just exists? Is that just sort of a global the, the re, tracker? That, there's, that a, the, there's that okay. and the WHO has a system. Okay. Um, and, um, but the next thing that happened was that it obviously got bigger in China. Mm -hmm. um, and it, there isn't a binary moment when it becomes, you know, completely dominant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what happened was that Chris Whitty assessed that there was a 50-50 chance of it going global. Okay. Well, and once you got to that, it's like 50-50 chance of catastrophe. Yeah. That's, so, so at that point, inside the department, okay. the focus completely switched to this thing. Right. But that was well before the rest of the world had sort of caught on. Caught on to it, yeah. Um, which, um, you know, I think more or less happened when the Italian... It was the Italian um, right. videos and things like yeah, that in the yeah. media. Because then it was, it was immediate. This yeah, wasn't it was like, something holy, that happened this is in China. Europe. Like, there's no way this is yeah, not coming yeah, to us at that yeah, point. Yeah. Okay. But I feel like in the tech space, you know, thank God we'd work, done the work that we had in the 18 months running up to it. Because by that time, I'd been health secretary for 18 months. Yeah. I'd come from DCMS where I'd just yeah, put the data Huge champion of digital innovation. And, and, and that's my thing, right? This is my background before I went into politics. And... Uh, it was a real privilege to be able to do that. And when I came across to health, I thought to myself, you know, what is the value added that I can bring to this? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, I know enough about technology and, and policy around technology and technology leadership, having yeah. done it inside government at the cabinet office, yeah. and then the policy at DCMS, to really try to have a crack at so this. So you were kind of humble enough to come over and sort of say, well, look, I'm obviously not a clinician, you know, don't That's have a right. medical background, but what mm -hmm. I do have is a sort of a digital transformation background and understanding how to translate that into large scale policy that has an impact. Yeah, so I, I defend the UK system of having non-specialists as secretaries of state. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is that you have a specialism, right? And your specialism mm -hmm. is you're democratically elected, right? We live in a democracy, that's very important. Yep. Um, and so you represent the, the, the voice and the view of the people mm -hmm. within a highly technically competent system. Yep. And sometimes some of the some of the biggest problems you get actually in government is when the the, bo the, the boss of a department is a specialist in an area and then they think they've got the answer. And they but, won't, does that does that impact it, their ability to use their staff and to find the right answer? Well, for, or why is that for really high quality people, no, but okay. but yeah, but in some cases uh, it, it can, can do. do. And whereas, you know, so as the health secretary, I knew firstly my job is to represent patients within the system. Because they're your constituents in effect. Because they're who the service is there for. Right. But also to support the system, to deliver for patients as well as possible. And the value added I could bring to that yeah. was on tech. And what were the three, what were the, obviously you came in two years or whatever it was before the, the pandemic. What were the most important things that you thought needed to happen in that role? Like what was priority one, two and three when you came in? To health secretary. But in the tech space or more Well, just broadly? anything. Like, so I on, set out my, 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 my three 
uh, which I was really clear about from quite early on, was one, people. Okay. Uh, you know, I took over after a period of when there'd been strikes by junior doctors. It had been quite, yeah. quite uh, difficult. And um, I really, really value the people who work in the NHS. I think that it's an amazing act of public service. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I was very frustrated that, that it's... It, it, do, it isn't better than the sum of its parts, and it should be. It's right. harder than it should be to work in the NHS. It should be a joy. You've got a platform that off which you could do amazing things, mm-hmm. but the system makes it harder, not easier, yeah. uh, than it should be. Uh, so people. Secondly, um, the prevention agenda. Yes. Uh, to, so to, to try to switch healthcare more towards prevention of ill health and away from just fixing people afterwards. Because actually, ironically, that, that piece of it, that prevention piece was just tied in when, when we basically started PogDoc. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, which is around how do you use technology? How do you make right. accessing to right. diagnostic testing easier so that people can then have more access to information to make better decisions? Yeah, so I, want to, I wanted, and I now still want, and it, it's been reinforced by the pandemic, a, a system, and a health system, in which if you're ill, you get a test, mm-hmm. find out what it is, you know, and then you can do something about yeah. it. Now, of course, the whole country has got used to um, it, you know, yeah. getting a test to see if you have, have COVID. COVID yeah. um, but what I want is the those the generic tests that that have a mul- the test for a multitude. You know, yeah. whether it's a lateral flow or whatever else. You know, you put your you put your swab down. You feel ill. You put yeah. a swab down. You know, and the bar might come up rhinovirus or flu or a coronavirus. You know, half a yeah. dozen coronaviruses. Uh, and then you go on the website and you say, well, now I know I've got rhinovirus. What should I do about that? So you know, that's one area. Yeah. But there's a whole, then there's all the, you know, the public health in terms of people being, living healthier lives. Yeah. So the prevention agenda, that was number two. Yep. Um, and number three was the technology. Right. And I had this formulative experience of going into a hospital um, shortly after I became health secretary and I did a night shift. And I walked oh, cool. into the... Um, is that something... You, I'm not sure I saw that publicised. Is that something you did just for yourself, for your own kind of knowledge? Or was that something that... Well, I did, I did... I did... I posted about it, but okay. it wasn't a big... I think it's a very good thing to do. Thing. I don't know how many people would do that. Yeah, I, I learned quite a lot from that. And I did, <laughs> them, I, I, did. I, I did them regularly. And the, here is okay. the thing that I learned from the first one that I did. I walked into this um, emergency department, and there was the nurse, the key nurse, um, standing at a... Um, uh, standing with at a sort of, not quite pedestal, but a, a booth with three sides to it, okay. right? Um, in the fulcrum between recess, which is where you put people who are likely to die, mm-hmm. uh, majors, where they've got something seriously wrong, minors, and pediatrics, the four parts of the classic emergency department. And he was standing, basically directing operations. Busy, Friday night, uh, a lot of activity going on, and and... Uh, and this guy was the guy who was like, right, was just that person goes to that bed, that person goes to that bed, uh, managing flow. And he had two computer screens. And I thought, this is, well, this is pretty good. Looks a bit like a city trader desk. You know? <laughs> and I went up and Looks technical, about it. yeah. yeah. And, the, um, and I asked him about this, his kit. And he said, well, I have two screens because this is the system for research and this is the system for majors. And if somebody moves from recess into majors, then I need to type their details into this system. And I have two screens so I can read it off the screen whilst I type it into the other one. Wow. And I thought, this is terrible. You know, these are people who are, they've literally gone from one ward to another because they were about to die. And now they're just really, really ill. Yeah. And we are 
we have the nurse who's in charge of the whole thing yeah. having to literally type their details across. I mean, you know, opportunities for human error, the yeah. waste of time. The, and the, the human and, error on uh, that is going to be in the, just in the, the dead of night, and, tired, you know, and under pressure. And the moral pressure. sapping nature of what, what, had, to, what had to be That's done. That's so much friction. And then being, yeah, and then, you know, think of the things that you then can't do. You can't. You can't analyze that data to understand who went. Oh, it's where. two different I mean, data sets, right? Awful, awful, awful. And it turns out that that, that hospital had a, you know a dozen different data sets and uh, and, and and systems. And I, I I thought, well, not only is this my background and it's yeah. the thing I know a little bit about, but <laughs> I know by about God, is it needed? But how do you take something like that? This is what I think. One of the reasons I like to do the show is to try and you know, take quite complex issues and, and explain why they matter to the people listening and mm. ask kind of stupid questions. Because like, yeah. I'm sure everyone's been into a hospital or a GP surgery and seen something that doesn't quite make sense, yeah. right? Like that is a really great example yeah. of something that doesn't make a huge amount of sense. How do you take that one little, you know, vignette yeah. and turn that into a transformational policy? Well, when I was talking about having um, uh, 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 a, a politicians having a skill set, yeah. right, that is <laughs> not subject specific, this yeah. is one of them. So in my family tech business, my first job as a teenager yeah. was to write the user guides. Okay. Okay. So I, I can code just about. Last coding I did what, was what in language you Cobol. Like nice. Right. Okay. A long time ago. Last job I did was fixing the Y2K bug in Cobol. Did you? So I mean that is so that is pretty old school. And um, although apparently I'm told really valuable because okay. most of the Cobol. Programmers have now retired a, yeah, yeah, or, or died. Like, yeah. uh, so, so I'll be like the last one standing. You're a commodity. And, yeah. Anyway, um, the. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I'd be any good now, you know, 20 years later. But the the um, uh, but really, my skill set was to take the you know the code and the way that the system worked and turn it into the lay language. Yeah. And I feel like I've been doing that all my life, right? right? Um, both with tech in the NHS. So shortly after this experience, I then gave a a speech at a tech conference in the NHS, a health tech conference. Yep. And I talked about how the tech was clunky, 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 and how we, what we needed to do, broad brush. Yeah. And I had people literally crying in the audience, saying wow. they've waited for 20 years for somebody to say this. And stuff. no one had ever really well, brought up the well, issue. Well, of course like, people have brought up the issue, yeah. but people were frightened of it politically. Right? Okay. You may not remember care.data. Uh, yeah, yeah that so, right, so that had happened in the mid-2010s, and it was when assurances been, had been given over the protection of data um, it, it, and they were wrong, and a load of people had withdrawn their consent for the yeah, use of data. Remember. I mean, it was, and it, within the system, it had got brought. It brought this sort of totemic. You know, we can't touch this area. You know, we don't talk about data. When holy, I brought like, the, what are they called? Like not holy cows. Holy, what are they called? Sacred cows. Uh, sacred cows. Yeah. And it. and you know, when I brought the, when I first published the Health and Care Act that's just got uh, royal assent um, last month. Oh, congratulations. Uh, I, I, one of the last things I did as health secretary was publish that. I wanted a load of improvements to the way data is managed in that legislation. And I was told, no, 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 don't use the word data because otherwise you'll just frighten the horses. I mean, just total, total. And what were they scared about? They were scared about another scandal. And, okay. you know, people had lost their jobs over this. Okay. But they'd lost their jobs because they gave promises about uh, data protection that were not then validated by what was going on. Yeah. That, that wasn't. And was it that the NHS's attitude was kind of behind the times on yes. this stuff? Yes. Okay. And, and Frit. Right. Scared. Yes. Yeah. Scared to right. make change. Okay. Uh, so, so I pushed this as hard as I could. We made some good progress with the underpinnings, the improvements to the spine. Uh, I knew what I needed to do. Right. And then the pandemic struck. Right. Well, and we can talk about. Let's. So, I one question I've got because I'm really interested to hear this is like, 
Can you remember what you were doing the day before the pandemic struck? Do you know what I mean? Like, no, what, it didn't happen. It didn't like work that, that way. It was, I mean, it was I, too it, fluid. Oh, well, I, I remember what I was doing the day before I heard about this novel disease. I, it was New Year's Eve. Um, okay. And um, but that's because I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You when know, I heard yeah, about yeah. it, you know, I, it was a, it was just a thing to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, for the but it very rapidly moved on from that. And when um, you were making presumably an unbelievable amount of decisions every single day, presumably, yeah. At yeah. The, particularly yeah. in the first phase where there was yeah. kind of no data. Yeah. And like just because I think people sort of maybe don't understand the scale of the, 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 the volume of decisions. Yeah. How, what was it like? I mean, how many decisions daily roughly were you making? And oh, how, were you, how were you trying to make those decisions? Hundreds. So the number, hundreds one, of decisions yeah, a day. the number one thing you've got to do is um, assess what to decide and what to delegate. Right. So as Secretary of State, um, you, you obviously you can't make all the decisions. No. Um, so the critical skill is actually about um, spotting the really crucial decisions and spending enough time on them. Some decisions, um, the, the, the machine just needs an answer. Okay. And you have like, you know, if you have an 80-20 approach on those, then fine. Okay. And, you know, like, should we have the NHS white and the backdrop blue or the other way around? Doesn't matter. Right. Okay. What matters is there needs to be a decision. Right. And the way that the system works with the civil service is they give you options and the options are all credible answers. Right. So they won't. Okay. So a typical okay. paper from a from a um, whether for a meeting or at night will be um, will have options, all of which are credible and reasonable. Right. Now you can often I'd go back and say I don't want any of these. None of these are good enough. But then you've got to do the work to work out. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. So endless decisions that are just here are three options which would you like and and the civil service always put the one they want as number two okay uh, and then they give you a sort of hard over <laughs> position and a softly softly position okay. and that's fine right and that is just how the machine that's how it works that's how the machine goes okay um but you have to be used to and confident and comfortable in taking decisions uh, quickly then there's the big decisions yeah um and the hardest part is distinguishing between the and two. presumably in the first phase of the pandemic no one necessarily knew. Did you know what a big decision was? Or was it still so un... You didn't no, quite necessarily... hard to know. And, and this absolutely comes down to the lack of information and yeah. data. And total paucity at first. Yeah, it was completely unknown. We knew nothing about this thing. Yeah. And then we knew what its sequence was. And actually, you know, then moved pretty fast to create the first... And the UK was one of the first people that sequenced that it. That sequenced right? it, yeah. yeah. And then we developed the first test very, yeah. very early. Yeah. Um, there were then problems scaling the testing, mm -hmm. which is, you know, uh, um, it, it, you know, the whole essay can be written on that. <laughs> um, Probably will. But managing the virus, the lack of data was extraordinary. Mm. What we, but there's two things in this that I think I'm proud of. What, um, one is we got better and better and better at data analytics. Mm -hmm. And having been a sort of data guy in government, by the end, we had the best data analytics I've seen of anywhere in government. Right. And we could do that because we could get an expert expertise from outside and nobody questioned the need to get an expertise Yeah, from was outside. it kind of like at that point? I mean, we, like I it's said like at the beginning. Of the yeah, it was sort of yeah. like what was previously impossible now yeah. would just happen yeah. as a bio. And we brought in loads of people yeah. who with private sector expertise as yeah. well, which helped. And so we augmented that skill set. Yeah. 
Um, and you turned really early to the private sector by pumping money out through Innovate UK. Well, we had we, to. We, we were a recipient. PocDoc was a recipient. But like, it, it worked very well, right? So was that something that you championed? Like this? Absolutely. Let's, see, let's go out to the private sector absolutely. and benefit from and that innovation. Abs- absolutely. And you know, I was ambivalent as to who won it. But what I cared about was that we had a national mini- mission yeah. and we needed to deliver. Yeah. So I was totally goals-oriented. Right. And whether it public or private sector, I didn't care. What I cared about was how are we going to get from A to B? as fast as possible um, because you know the whole thing was the the um, the other area that worked incredibly well both obviously broadly but also in terms of the the, the data on the pinnings was the vaccination program yeah which which was so you know that it and, to, and how was your what was your role in relation to that program well um, at first my the role was to ensure that we um, developed the domestic vaccines as effectively as possible. Okay, you know, so the Oxford, AstraZeneca... Well, the Oxford, Oxford team Oxford. got on with it off their own back straight away. Yeah. Um, and then um, I had to make sure they were funded, okay. which wasn't as straightforward as it should have been. But then crucially, when they had to partner up with a major manufacturer, manufacturer yep. um, I was not comfortable with that all happening offshore in, in the US. That was the Pfizer thing, was it? No, um, that was no the, we're going to go with somebody else. Somebody and else. I, 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 I was actually worried about Donald Trump saying, no, we'll just... We'll. Which inevitably, yeah, you, yeah. I, mean, I think I Donald should have Trump been, would... Turns yeah. out I need to be worried about the European Union, but, <laughs> but that comes, that comes yeah. later. But the, the reason the rollout... then my So there was that, there was buying from around so your the world. So you, 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 your, your you protected the UK supply... And then there was a rollout thing. Then there was the purchasing the other vaccines. Yeah. Because one of the mistakes that some of the countries who are still in lockdown, like China, yeah. have made is that they would only go with their domestic vaccine. Yeah, Sinovac. But one of the reasons that the European system, um, the European vaccine rollout started much slower than ours was because Macron had insisted that they buy the French. The French, the Sanofi uh, one, or whatever That's it was. right, Sanofi. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, we, we just said, whichever works, we buy, yeah, on, based on clinical grounding. The th- but the, then the point I was trying to get to is, not at all, is the, it was the rollout. Right. So at the start of the rollout, one of the things we said was, we've got to get the data underpinnings right. Mm-hmm. Um, who we're inviting, in what order, how we're contacting them, how we know we've contacted them. Um, uh, the booking system sounds boring. But critical. my God, a, 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 the booking system in the NHS is typically absolutely useless, and in this case, worked like a dream. And most yeah. people were in and out within fifteen minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then the 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 identification proving you yeah. can yeah. you've had a, the jab right, yeah. which we still use today on the NHS. Yeah, of app. course. Yeah. Um, and so the data architecture under that, and we got in uh, Doug Gurr, who'd previously run Amazon UK, right. and I got him to kick the tires and sort of you know. Um, uh, to, to mentor the team, really, to make sure that we got that. And they did an amazing job. They did an amazing job. But it was be- that went well. One of the reasons is because we got the data architecture right. Right. And do you feel like, that, I don't know how much you know around the science of decision-making, but I've been doing some reading, and there's this very well-known sort of concept of what's called resulting, which is basically you assess whether the decisions made were good or bad based off of outcomes, or okay. perceived outcomes, right? Okay. So do you feel like that's kind of what people are doing when they've, you know, with, with, with you and the department and not necessarily giving you a fair shout about, about like, they're saying, well, you know, at the end of the day, these things didn't work out as well as we would have hoped, therefore the decision was wrong, as opposed to saying, well, was the decision right? And these things haven't happened, you know, because they would have happened anyway. Or yeah, that's a I mean. very good point. Um, 
I mean, that's all for the inquiry, right? Um, oh, yeah, I wasn't trying to open No, I know, I know. But, but, but genuinely it is, because okay. it really matters to me that we learn the right lessons from right. this. And, you know, I think there are some things that went well that are seen to have gone well. There are some things that went well but are seen to have gone badly. Yeah. Um, and there are some things that went badly that were seen to have gone well. Yeah. Um, the, um, and then there were some things that were seen to have gone badly that actually, actually didn't did. go so great after uh, so, all. So, and we've got, to, we've got to piece all that. We've got to get the right lessons. You yeah. know, there are some areas where people draw the wrong lessons. And actually, the thing is, the passage of time helps us learn. Mm-hmm. So just in the last week, we've seen new data from the World Health yeah, Organization. Yeah, the WHO data. Uh, the Lancet have published a paper. You know, it turns out that the UK, the overall UK performance in terms of uh, the, the number of people who sadly lost their lives um, is actually, you know, less bad than some other comparator countries, comparator including, countries. for instance, Germany. And, yeah. you know, which at the beginning which yeah. was hailed as yeah. people were questioning at the beginning, why is Germany doing yeah. so well? Yeah. Which is a horrible way of phrasing around the issue that we're talking about, but yeah. that's what people said. That's right. And what matters is that we we learn from all these data as they become available, and we learn about the different ways in which COVID caused uh, problems as well. Because, you know, locking down too hard causes problems as well as uh, not locking down because there are, there, are, there are health consequences and complications from that. So, you know, what I, am, I, I feel so strongly that whoever's in my shoes next time around needs to have you know, the manual on the shelf. Yeah. And do you think it needs to be put together in an objective way? Because obviously. otherwise you'll learn the wrong... Because yeah, it, it'll be like a bit like finger... If it's a bit too finger pointing, then yeah. you'll, you'll, yeah. people will be too defensive and they won't open up. Yeah. Right? So my, I've taken the view that I'm just going to you know, tell it exactly there. as okay. I saw it. And, you know, some people might criticise me for saying, well, for some things where I'll say that went well and then right. they criticise me. Okay. Yeah. Um, we didn't run out of PPE as a nation. Right. We, we did in some parts. Every time I say that, you know, I get a load of people saying, but I ran out of PPE. Yes, I understand that. I, I know that. But there's actually, nationally, we never had a national outage. Right. We were very, very close to it, but we never had a full, uh, you know, we never as a nation never ran out. That. There were distribution issues. Mm-hmm. Now, within that one area, we've got to learn what went well and what went badly, yeah. you know, and some things have, uh, you know, we've been criticized for. But actually went well. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that so we've got to we've got to we've got to discuss. And um, one more question on the pandemic, then we're going to flip to you know the future. So, at the end of the day, what would you like people to remember? What what would you like people to remember your kind of role as you know when the dust settles as oh. far as the pandemic is going? Like, what would you like people to think? Or Why? what would you like people to say? I mean, obviously, you know, it's there's no gold medal. You know, right? I literally never thought of that. The, Come um, on, no, because no one's ever asked you that. No, because people have got. Everyone's got a view anyway, right? Because they watch, you know, twenty-four-seven media, right? I, I was, and and when there was nothing to do except watch, watch there really the wasn't. TV I mean, it because, was, because 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 you know, I stopped you. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so I get that. Um, um, look, I think that um, I hope that people understand that um, we took the best decisions we could in difficult circumstances in a fog of uncertainty um, and you know I, I really liked the way you put it at the start which was this was also the most radical period for innovation in a um, hundred years now it's not an, a period you'd ever want no. but it is a but it was a it was a, 
a, a well, let's concept. let's talk about that quickly. Which is, what technologies would you do you believe should yeah. stay right? Because yeah. there's obviously there was a huge amount of things that got implemented in a phenomenal period of time. I mean, yeah. we, our, our GP clinician advisor said to us, he's like. I've been able to implement more digital transformation yeah. in the space of yeah. 12 months than I have done in 10 years. Um, remember, we, yeah, we always say this, but digital transformation is 10% about the technology and 90% about the people. Yeah. So the number one thing that I'd like the health system and the NHS to maintain is the attitude of openness to change. Right openness to innovation. So it not, let's not be scared of it. Let's not be scared of it. We yep. have, um, and, and leaders now across the NHS can say, look at the transformation we brought in a very short period of time when we really needed to. Mm -hmm. Let's do that, maybe you know, working a normal day, not an 18 hour day, <laughs> yeah. but nevertheless, let's do that to tackle the next problem. Yeah. Which is, I mean, prevention is a huge issue. Prevention. Cardiovascular and, disease, type 2 diabetes, yeah, and, the backlog. And, and using, um, uh, using technology that now exists and and the and getting uptake far faster than because uptake is the big problem actually in the NHS yeah innovation is ironically the easy bit well so we're, we're, we're during during the pandemic we were on the NHS digital accelerator which okay. aims to fast track technology into right. the NHS and it was hugely transformative for yeah. us and yeah. just witnessing all of these other companies you know on it yeah. that were, that were trying and, and some are succeeding better than others but yeah. it's actually you're right it's that it's not the idea, it's not the technology, it's actually how do you bridge the gap and how do you get it yeah. taken up at scale? Yeah, so that's one answer. Another answer I'd give is that we've got to make sure we get the, um, the, the data architecture of the NHS as a whole right. Standardised. We, we have a golden opportunity because we have a universal system yep. um, to um, use data to save lives mm -hmm. um, and to make sure that the UK is an absolute hub of health tech. Uh, I, ironically, the last non-COVID speech I gave before the pandemic was about uh, how the NHS needs to be a platform, how every other successful large organization has switched from silos to, plat to being a platform, where, uh, of course, the, there's a data layer to the platform, but there's more than that, you know, so that you as a, as a, as a say, a surgeon can plug in wherever you fit in, in, in the NHS and you can and do your stuff from a platform that gives you everything you need. Um, and obviously data is the critical piece of that because you can't do it without, but all, but all the other parts. Now we have a system, for instance, in qualifications that is a platform because okay. they're totally transferable within the NHS. Right. Um, but in so many other areas we don't. So the NHS as a platform is the other, as well as the human you know, openness to change. It's the, it's the you know, the, the, the NHS seeing itself and being structured as a, uh, as a platform business and, and is how absolutely critical. And how important do you, do you view sort of innovation, innovative companies like PocDoc and many others in that sort of, in that phase? You know, well, like they're in, absolutely in critical. Right. Um, and, um, I mean, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I like to ask the obvious <laughs> questions. I mean, um, but in a way, you know, as health secretary, my view of my role wasn't, to, it was to encourage people, mm -hmm. but not to have a view on any one of these businesses. Right? Well, of course you can't. It, but not just competitors within a space, no. but it's about, it's about ecosystem, it's about curation, and then all sorts of amazing people pop up and do things you never even thought of. That makes sense. So um, during the pandemic, obviously you and your staff were working, I assume, crazy hours, well, across the board, lots of everyone was, it was not exclusive, but how, we talk a lot about on this show about staying on a mission. 
yeah. and, and, and keeping, staying motivated. And obviously, a lot of the time we don't talk about the pandemic because people start their own companies and they're on their own missions. But yeah. starting a health tech business, health technology business is tough. Starting any business is tough. But how, how, how do you feel that translated and how did you keep people motivated and how did that kind of play out on a day-to-day -day basis during what must have been an unbelievably yeah. difficult time? Well, I thought... Well, it was difficult, thought, for, difficult for everybody. It was. It was. I, I, I thought a lot about this. Um, and um, it, was, it was very, very important as a part of my job. A um, couple of things. The, the absolute center of it is about reaction to error. Okay. And to be um, forgiving of error and instill an attitude and a culture in response to things that go wrong, which is how do we fix this, not whose fault is this. Yeah. Now, in a pandemic, that is actually easier than in normal times because the mission is so clear, right? Yeah. So, of course, you, you need to assemble your people around a mission and articulate the mission. Uh, that goes without saying, and I did that. And the way that I could do that was actually use of public communications. That bit got easier in the pandemic because, you know, at, at five o'clock most nights, uh, I could communicate to... Everyone in the country. Everyone who was not act actively working on a ward, right? Yeah. So, so th th those, those communications were not just to the public, they were also to the NHS. Yep. Um, and um, now, so, and you've got to, you've got to, you know that everyone, literally everyone, me included, of course, makes mistakes in response to, well, it, throughout life, yeah. but especially in response to when the number of decisions comes when fast and when it's unprecedented and when, uh, and the critical thing is how you respond. So I'd have quite early on, there were some, you know, some people would come to me quite worried or frightened. Right. You know, being a secretary of state is a, yeah. you know, position of power. Um, and I'd and say, oh yeah, I've, me I've, I've messed up on this. And I would say, okay, how are we going to fix it? And yeah. they'd go out and it would be reported back to me that they went out sort of massively relieved. Now, right. sometimes, of course, also you have to make sure you've got the right people in the right jobs. And people, you have to, yeah. you know, so yeah. it isn't to say that um, you aren't, you, you don't also take the decisions that are necessary. Mm. But the critical thing is in a very large system, you just don't find out what the problems are well, that's the unless problem. you have this attitude. And yeah, this exactly. Culture. People will hide it from you, which yeah. is the worst, presumably, yeah. because you need data, yeah, accurate data. As in quickly fact, the, as the only thing I got really cross about was when people had something had gone wrong and nobody had told me. Right. Um, and then they came, they, then it often gets worse and worse and then they have to come and tell you about it. Right. And then it's like, well, when did you yeah, find, out about, you find out about well, this? Well, you know, we have been studying this problem for a month or so. What? Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's a, um, but that's a different, that's a different matter. And, um, okay. So this is our final question. So it looks to be great to have you on, but so what's, what's next for you over the next 12, 24 months? Well, I'm thoroughly enjoying being on the back benches. You yeah, have far more freedom than, uh, than you do in ministerial life. I didn't expect to enjoy it. Okay. Uh, I'm loving spending more time in Suffolk. Yep. I'm reconnecting with my constituency, which for two years, you know, I, 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 I fulfilled my duty, but only yeah. just. Yep. Uh, whereas now I'm uh, spending a huge amount of time there, uh, which is great. Um, and um, I've got a couple of yeah, I've got a couple of projects. Good. I'm trying to. One of my bits of unfinished business is to make sure that uh, that the education system treats people who are dyslexic better, gives them more support because that's one of my things. Yeah. And then supporting the wider tech ecosystem across the country. Great. Well, Matt, thank you very much for coming on.
Really pleased to have you on the Health Tech Hour. Thank you very much for everyone for listening, watching, and following us on all the socials. We'll be back again next week. This has been the Health Tech Hour from the Houses of Parliament with Matt Hancock. Thanks very much.